Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 15. This is your host, Blem. Listeners, welcome back for another episode of MLS Gone Wild. It's your boy, Mike D. Take it away, Chuck. <laughs> I, I wish the listeners could see my face right now because I'm, I'm shocked. Are we going to start singing on this podcast? Is that something we're going to do? I like to sing. I like okay. to sing. I only so. sing in the shower. I will not sing on this podcast, so I will leave that up to you. The listeners don't want to. I might get a record deal after that one. The listeners don't want to hear me sing. We barely hit 200 listeners per episode. So us singing, especially me singing, is not going to help that number whatsoever. But Mike D, in about 24 hours, you know where I'm going to be? I know where you're going to be. My lower.com back, my lower.com field back hurts this morning from our game last night. I texted you. Yeah, my whole legs are absolutely trashed from running on Sunday. So I had my wisdom t- teeth taken out a couple weeks ago. It all started on July 4th, so I haven't been running. I ran on Sunday. My legs hurt then. It felt like I did squats and deadlifts, and I just went for a simple two-and-a-half-mile run. And then we turned around and played a game last night where I felt like we were the lesser talented side in a CONCACAF game playing against Mexico or the United States, and we played in, in a low block, and we just defended the whole game. And I was chasing guys around the pitch. But yeah, anyways, we'll get back to it. I'm going to be at lower.com field tomorrow night for my first ever Columbus crew match at the new stadium. And I can't be more excited. I'm flying out at six in the morning. We're doing this pod right now at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. I still got a pack. So let's get right into this thing, Mike D. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, we will discuss the firing of Gabriel Heinze in Atlanta and how the other remaining new coaches are doing so far. Seattle slip and their record start ends at 13 games unbeaten. Like I said, I am headed to the LDC, a.k.a. Lower.com Field, for the first time ever to watch our beloved crew and Nashville SC square off in a massive matchup. We'll see Uh who's really massive. We'll get you a preview to that one. MLS All-Star voting ends today. Well, today when you guys are listening. So Mike D and I will name our ideal starting 11s. The U.S. Men's National Team top group B after defeating Canada 1-0. We got all that and so much more. So, Mike D., let's get into it. We got an easy one, a fun one. What was your goal of the week? My goal of the week was Hani Mukhtar. His not one, not two, but his third goal, his free kick goal. Um, it was an absolute beauty of a free kick. Almost Messi-esque. Um, curl it top left corner with such pace. It, it really did remind me of the Argentinian man. Um, so that's my goal of the week. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. And, and Hani Mukhtar, hats off, chef's kiss. Well done, lad. Are you calling Hani Mukhtar the German Messi right now? We got him in the MLS? The MLS? The free kick absolutely made him look that way. Hey, bar down, baby. That was a nice goal. But my goal of the week goes out to Carlos Fela from the ball from the right side, from the new right back, him – Moon Juan, yeah? Is that right, Mike D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he played that long ball in, and a lot of people, like Jackson Ewell, can't even open up using their feet, but Carlos Vela opened up with his shoulder and set up his nasty left foot and absolutely blasted it past David Ochoa. So just his ability to open up with that left shoulder and 
hit it off the half volley, just screamed it past David Ochoa. That's my goal of the week. Mikey, let's keep it rolling. So you want to go into all the small things now where we talk about all the small things. Another singing segment by Mike D. So all the small things is our segment where we, we break down one key moment in a match where it was a small moment that maybe went overlooked. So Blake, go ahead and start. Give us your all the small things. I feel like I've been really excited so far in this episode. Just a lot of yelling. So if you guys are listening to me, if you hear me start talking, I would turn your volume down a little bit. I, uh, I'm tone deaf today. I would turn I'm... your volume down a little bit. But anyway, the reason that he's excited, ladies and gentlemen, is because his supervisor or his chaperone, a.k.a. his girlfriend, is not in the building. And when she is in the building, Blake has to keep his voice down. So she's not there. And yeah, he's allowed to be a little bit more free and vocal. Mm, but anyway, I do, need, I do need supervision most of the time. But guys, my all the small things. I, I want to shout out to Matthew DeGeorge for throwing me this alley-oop of an all the small things shout. And the Philadelphia Union's opening goal versus DC United in the 10th minute. I want to focus on all the small things that Casper Shabelko did in this play specifically. When Alejandro Bedoya received the ball, Casper began his diagonal run. He quickly noticed that the center back began to track him along with their left back in the 3v3 counterattack. Now that he occupied two defenders with his run, it's now a 2v1 on the backside. And if you look closely, closely you can see Casper direct traffic by pointing for Bedoya to skip him and play Gazdog in the middle. Gazdog has the deftest of touches, and the ball gets through to Sergio Santos, who buries it in a 1v1 situation. The run to occupy the two defenders, the point to direct the play. Mike T, gotta love the small things, man. Gotta love the small things. And even from a player perspective, I, I remember doing little things like this where it was almost more satisfying to make that run and watch the play develop behind you and know that all you did was just make a run to clear some space out for another player to get in. So love that for, for Casper. My all the small things, though, is going to go to Brenner from FC Cincinnati. And FC Cincinnati's second goal, which, by the way, FC Cincinnati against Montreal was an absolute crazy game. Montreal ended up winning 5-4. But in FC Cincinnati's second game, Montreal has the ball in their defensive third. And second goal. What did I say? Second game. It's okay. I get sorry, you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Second goal. <laughs> and, and, and FC Cincinnati's second goal, Montreal has the ball in their defensive third, and Camacho receives the ball from his goalkeeper. In this moment, Brenner starts a blistering sprint towards um, Camacho from the midfield. Camacho then passes the ball back to his keeper, and Brenner continues that blistering sprint towards the keeper. Uh, I think his name is Pentemis. And oh, no. As soon as the ball is passed back from Camacho to Pantemis, he continues that, that press, and Pantemis thinks he has more time than he does, takes a touch, and by that time, it's way too late. Brenner is literally on him, and he dispossesses him and ends up scoring a goal. So my all the small things is Brenner's ability and Brenner's commitment to the press. He was the only one in that moment that was pressing. His commitment to the press, which led to – Bad decision-making, ultimately resulting in a goal. So, Brenner, we know we, we've talked about you a lot on this podcast and, and how you haven't scored many goals. And although this one wasn't really a, a great goal, a goal nonetheless. So, well done for all the small things there. Yeah, imagine that. The MLS gone wild bump. We talked some smack about him last week. Is he worth $9 million? And then he goes out and scores a brace. Brain that they lost and both goals were tap-ins, but he kind of shut us up a little bit. So, shouts to Brenner, FC Cincinnati, for uh, blowing two leads in that game. All right, but now that we're done having all this fun, let's get a little bit serious, Mike D. 
After just 13 matches, Gabriel Heinsohn has been relieved of his duties as the head coach for Atlanta United, making him the second coach in as many weeks to be fired in MLS. Chris Armas and Josie clashed. Toronto couldn't get results. Armas out. Heinsa and Joseph clashed. Atlanta couldn't get results. Heinsa out. Seems like a simple formula, right? On top of not getting the results, which they haven't won in their previous eight matches dating back to May 15th, reports came out a day or so ago that Heinsa denied players CBA-mandated days off, limited the amount of water they could drink during preseason practices, lacked communication or relationships with his players and staff, and a laundry list of other issues. A source close to the organization said it was hell every day for six months. What a mess, to say the least. Mike D., what do you make of this absolute shit show in Atlanta? It's really sad to see something like this come out. Um, It's definitely the last thing you want to see at the professional level. You're selected as a coach to get wins, but there's steps along the way that you must take in order to get there. You cannot simply bully your way to wins. You will have no morale, and lack of morale leads to lack of mental sharpness, which you know, makes sense why Atlanta was not getting results. It, it cannot be the only reason, but that coupled with Joseph coming back from injury, trying to find his form again, not a good recipe for all of this. You know, not allowing CBA mandated days off, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, CBA is collective bargaining agreement. Uh, so not allowing CBA mandated days off um, doesn't really concern me as much as limiting the amount of water players can drink during training sessions. That one is beyond me, inhumane. I, I really wish we knew a little bit more, um, which we probably won't, about what happened with Joseph. Um, much like the same thing that happened with, with Josie. But I imagine it was a culmination of all of these things, you know, having to deal with Heinze and his personality and the way that he conducted business. But really sad to see stuff like this happen. Um, and, have, and Atlanta, like you said, have now gone through two coaches um, who are supposed to turn things around who did not do that. And now they've had to do this, this change in a very short time twice. So I really hope that the third time's a charm and they get a good coach that can help them get back to their winning ways and help Joseph get back to his dominant um, goal-scoring ability. So, Mike D., I understand that concern about him limiting water. And, I mean, did you drink water today? You feel I, good, right? I drank a lot of water today. I, Tons I, of I, water. I, me too, man, and I feel great. And you would think that you would want that for your players. You're not going to stick your players out there in preseason heat scrimmages without drinking water. Like, that's not going to make you more of a man. It's not going to make you a better soccer player. And then on top of that, the overtraining and – asking your players to be at their phone. And as soon as Gabriel Heinz calls, you got to report to the stadium to, to train or whatever, or review tape just on Heinz's notice on your mandated days off. Like that's not cool. But on top of that, there is record that Velez Sarsfield, the club he coached before Atlanta United players have come out and said that they essentially had eating disorders because if they gained any type of weight, he would find them. Like, that, that shit's not cool to me. But one, the thing that I – it comes down to me just – I'll get into Carlos Bocanegra here in a minute, but just looking at Gabriel Heinze, he was hired to do a job. You know, Tata Martino started this club out on such a high note. In the second year ever, they win MLS Cup. He's got guys like Miguel Almarone, Darlington Nagby, Joseph Martinez, who's just been frozen out behind, who's now gone, but he has all these guys. And then, and then you bring in Frank DeBoer to 
bring the team back to its, its graces and take them back to the top of the league. And you can't do that. Then you got Stephen Glass who comes in to the interim job. And then you bring in this guy that's played for Manchester United, some of the biggest clubs in the world, has done really good in South America and Gabriel Heinze, and he's gone after 13 games. So, Mike D, if we're counting this, that's four different coaches in about four seasons and some change. So there's been a lot of turnover in this Atlanta United organization. But back to Heinz, I want to I want to look at his his leadership. Like I I don't understand the the water situation. I don't understand violating CBA mandated days off. But the one thing that really stood out to me, Mike D, both I, you and I are ex-players, is he limited the amount of communication to his players and staff. Like he really lacked that. Like he never cared about building those relationships. And when you look at some of the best teams in the league, it's about building a culture, the Columbus Crews, Seattle Sounders, the Portland Timbers have a pretty good culture. There's clubs all around the league that you can just say that these teams have good culture and it stop, starts at the top down. But right now I just want to look at hindsight and the fact that he brought his whole staff, his whole staff in, all his assistant coaches or what have you basically came in with him and they didn't care about making relationships with the best players on this team. He's a South American guy, right? And he's got all these a plethora of South American players, Joseph Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, Marcelo Moreno, all these guys, Jurgen Dam, all these guys are South American players. So you, you would think that for a job person fit, that this would be perfect if the person is willing to put in the effort to build a relationship and get to know these guys. Like soccer is bigger than just coaching. Soccer, being a soccer coach and being a leader at any level is about getting to know the people that you're working with and the people that you're leading. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I mean, even from personal experience, I, you, you, you know, um, in, in our collegiate days, I mean, when I was playing, I didn't feel as though I had the best relationship with my coach. And I felt personally that it was because he wasn't necessarily a player's coach. And this is exactly the same kind of situation. I would have been, I, I think I would have done better as a player if I would have had a better relationship with my coach and this is the same thing. So it's, 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 it's paramount. It's paramount that you make those relationships because it continues to build that morale. And when you, when you have good morale, it, like I said, you you have mental sharpness, you have buy-in and then you have wins, which Atlanta has not had. No, they haven't. There was no buy-in with the board. There's been no buy-in with Heinz. That's why they're both out. I quickly want to touch on Boca Negra. He is the guy that is essentially in charge of the day-to-day operations of the team. And I saw a quote that came out right after, excuse me, Gabriel Heinze was fired, basically saying that he was almost oblivious to the day-to-day that was going on with Gabriel Heinze with the, you know, violating CBA mandated days off, limiting the water. He said he was oblivious to this thing. Well, you're in charge of the day-to-day operations of this club who has such high expectations. The fan base this specific fan base has one of the highest expectations for it, more than any other team in the league. And you hired the guy. You know the expectations. You know what's needed for this team day-to-day to get wins on this field, or you should. And you, you just realize this after 13 weeks, that maybe this isn't a good fit. And it took – they're going to say that the Joseph Martinez thing didn't factor into it, but it, it absolutely did, I think. When your star player – is frozen out by your head coach and you're not getting the wins extra time did a really good job about explaining this yesterday when you freeze out your best player and you're not getting the wins without them what the hell are you freezing them out for are you proving a point or what you're not bigger than the club 
I saw something that the Atlanta United organization sent little golden statues of Joseph Martinez to the season ticket members and they all have it. So he's like, he's King Joseph. I mean, he really is. So I think a lot of this does fall back on Boca Negra as the guy that hired him and the guy that's almost maybe turned a blind eye and has really led this organization astray as the guy in charge. It seems like they made a couple poor coaching hires and they are not the Atlanta United that used to be. And they, they might need a shake up in the front office, to be honest with you. It's very possible. I, I find it hard to believe that they didn't know what was going on. This kind of thing doesn't happen. And people, you know, people don't, people are going to talk about this kind of thing. You're going to hear room. You're going to hear murmurs around in the locker room. I mean, you're going to see the way that people are acting. You're going to see attitudes. You're going to see stuff like that. So they're not going to tell us. It's not going to be put out in the media, of course, but I have no doubts that there were other people that knew about this kind of thing. So I want Atlanta United to bring a coach in that's going to make Atlanta United fun again because the league is better when Atlanta United is good. I think we yeah. both want it, Mike T. Yeah, I agree. So Atlanta's going to get a, a new coach. Heinze was one of the new coaches this year, but there are six other new head coaches left that started in 2021. Mike D, let's check in and say, see how these guys have navigated the first 13 weeks with their new clubs. You ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm going to list them off. You give me the rundown. Josh Wolf, Austin FC. Okay, so Josh Wolf with Austin FC. I think Josh Wolf has done well with this team. Um, they've built a solid roster from the jump. They, they had a mentality that – they were going to put together a, sol a solid team and a good balance of young players and veterans, and they've done just that. And they've also established who they want to be when it comes to their play style. You see them do this well at times, um, not really looking like an expansion team at all. And sure, they've only scored 10 goals in 13 games played, so that needs to be better. But their identity around possession is progressing nicely, and they looked comfortable. They look comfortable doing it. Uh, playing out of the back, playing through the midfield, keeping possession and not looking frazzled it is, a, is a nice thing to see from an expansion team. Um, so now I think it's just figuring out some of the small things, maybe getting some other key pieces in there to score some goals. Um, they're sitting at ninth in the West, just three points out of the playoff spot. So Josh Wolf bringing his experience as a player, bringing his experience under some of the best coaches that he's been um, coached by and coached under um, and, and Caleb Porter um, has given him a lot to bring to the table as a coach himself. So them sitting at ninth, three points out of the, the playoff spot for me is something to tip their hat at. Yeah. And they've had some really good wins. They beat the Rapids, Minnesota United FC and Portland. And all three of those teams are above the playoff line. They're a team that knows who they want to be just lacking a goal score 0.8 goals per game, second to last in the league but they're six in average possession of the league with 52.7%. So they are getting their chances. They're beating good teams, but they, like you said, they do need to sign a striker probably in the transfer window. Moving on, Hernan Lasada, DC United. Mike D, go. So DC United also sits ninth, two spots below the playoff line. And Hernan Lasada has improved DC United, in my opinion. They ended the 2020 season with five wins after 23 games played. And they currently have five wins going into this week after 13 games played. 
he's got the team organized and embracing a win at all costs mentality where the team is highly active going forward and is really about the press. DC has had some down years, of course, you know, in, in the recent past, but Losada has sparked some belief in this team and there's buy-in. Uh, looks like they could really turn things around if they continue to buy into this mentality that Losada has incorporated. Um, I mean, listen, they lost to Philly last week, 1-0, where Philly had an expected goal of 1.4 and DC had an expected goal of 1.3. So DC had more possession of the ball, one last shot on goal. That's pretty damn good when you're sitting lower in the East playing one of the best. So they're doing some things right. I think they have a good coach at the helm that's changing the culture a little bit, getting them a little bit more organized as a team. And it's not going to happen in a year. But I think next year we're going to see some some different things. And it's still there's still a lot of games left to be played. You know, there, there's still a lot of games left to be played. So um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, last last three games they won just one where they thrashed Toronto 7-1 and had losses to New York City FC and Philly, um, like I mentioned. And that loss to New York City FC came in the late moments of the game. So I, I think they, they have room here to improve and they're going to get better. So – Hats off to Lasada. He's doing good things. You talk about that loss to Philly. I have a quote from Jim Curtin here. Their coach, Hernan Lasada, has done a great job with them. They're very organized, very disciplined, and they have belief right now. A team that's very relentless in their pursuit to win the ball. They run. They fight for every inch, and I enjoy watching them play. I really like their team's commitment on the defensive side of the ball, how they really get after you, and they don't give you the time and space. That Hernan Lasada high press. It's making a difference for D.C. United. Them boys are fit, and them boys can run, and they'll press you to death. Another team that does that, Mike D., you tried to tell me earlier he's not a, a, a new head coach. He coached one playoff game last year and a loss to the Columbus crew. Gerhard Struber, Red Bulls, New York. You got anything for me here? He coached one game in 2020. Therefore, he does not count. However, you know, I, I'll say some, some stuff, you know. Um, New York Rebels are unbeaten in their last six games and, and sit, you know, they have a 5-5-2 record currently. They're eighth spot just above D.C. Uh, and there's a lot of season left. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Caden Clark's having a good season. You're seeing some good spells with him and Frankie Amaya now in the mix. Um, now they have scored only two more goals than they have given up. So they need to figure out a way to, to take some points away from these games. A lot of the games they've they've lost have been narrow losses. So finding a way to keep a lead or not give up goals is what they should be focusing on. So they're they're doing fine. Um, they got some young players. Caden Clark obviously is leaving, uh, so they have to fill that that hole. But the, there's a lot of season left, and I think that Struber's doing something right. Absolutely, they've got two really good wins against a really good Orlando SC side, and they also beat Nashville, who's a pretty tough team to break down and beat. That's the uh, only they, loss that they have this season. Is to whom? That Nashville's only loss. Oh yeah, yeah. Is the is the New York Red Bulls? Yeah. So shout out to shout out to Stuber for handing that loss to Gary Smith. But we talked about the high press system of Hernan Lasada, but Red Bulls do it even better. Thirteen tackles per match, first in the league, and they're also first in the league with possession one in the final third. So that's off the counter press. They lose the ball in the attack, and they are breaking the other team down, pressing them to death, cutting all angles and getting to their man, and they're, they're winning the ball back on the counterpress, and they're going forward again. So good for them. Their high-press counterpress system is working. Okay, next, Mike D., Greg Vanny, LA Galaxy. This is my favorite one. You know, this, is, this has got to be the best success story of new coaches, right? I mean, 
He does it all with Toronto, decides to leave to build up another team to greatness. Uh, he wants a new project, only select a team that needed to get some of their pride back in the LA Galaxy, and now they sit third in the West. Chicharito has 10 goals and an assist through 13 games when he finished 2020 with just two goals. LA have finished mid to bottom of the table over the last few years, so it's nice to see Greg Vanny breathing fresh air into the LA Galaxy. So this has got to be my favorite one, and, and Greg Vanny obviously is a great coach and is doing great things with the LA Galaxy. He's known for turning things around. So last year, LA Galaxy finished 10th in the West with just six wins through 13 weeks of 2021. The LA Galaxy have eight wins. Okay, that's great. But he's been known to do this in the past. When he was with TFC in his first three seasons, they made the playoffs every year. He went round one in his first year, runners up in his second year, and they won it in 2017 in his third year. And they hadn't made the playoffs for eight years before that. So he knows how to turn a team around and knows how to turn a team around quickly. So what, LA Galaxy sit third in the West on 24 points. Don't know if they're really going to be able to make up that ground with Seattle and SKC because them boys are good. But Greg Vaney's doing a hell of a job for the LA Galaxy. Right. Uh, now I'm going to do the – we're going complete opposite here. Something that's <laughs> not doing a hell of a job. I'm going to Phil Neville and Inter-Miami. Mike D, go ahead. Not so hot. So I wanted Inter-Miami to be good, and I'm sure a lot of people wanted Inter-Miami to be good, but they're just not. And the definition here that really sums it up for me and for I'm sure a lot of people is – dumpster fire right they they bring in guys like Rodolfo Pizarro Gonzalo Higuain and Matuidi you know these star power names to to get the job done and they're just not and then they do Phil they bring in Phil Neville to do much of the same and they're they're still not getting it done they have a huge problem scoring goals they are in dead last in the league with nine goals for even Austin FC the expansion team that we just talked about under Josh Wolf is above them, well, narrowly, with 10 goals, it's not a good look. So in their last six, they've won one game, scoring four times in that span. Those goals came um, from two of their last six. Um, so they need to do better scoring um, as well as defending. Um, and they have to do something. They have to get wins. They have to get wins. They have to figure it out. So um, it's not looking good, though, with their next six games all being against strong teams above the playoff line. So they got their work cut out for them. Inter-Miami have the highest payroll in the league. They also have the lowest points and the least goals scored. It ain't good for Phil Neville, but that's David Beckham's boy, so I don't know if he's letting him go, but he's got to be the next guy to go, right? Neville? Yeah. Got to be. Has yeah. to be. I mean, if they don't start scoring goals, he's got to be the next one to go. Absolutely. Or Somebody winning games, rather. Yeah. Somebody that's doing a lot better. It's turned another club around and has looked really good after taking over as an interim head coach. Wilfred Nancy, club their foot, Montreal. You mean Wilfred Nancy? I think that's how they say it. I don't, I don't know. What? Why, why don't you just sing me a song, Mike D? Wilfred Nancy. You're so fancy. <laughs> so Montreal's playing really good soccer. They look really good in possession. Mason Toy has been playing very well, um, and they look threatening in the attack. I said this in the beginning of the season. I said that Montreal was going to be a good team, you know? So I'm just going to hang my hat on that. Wilfred Nantes has come and stepped into some big shoes when uh, Thierry Henry left. And uh, they sit fourth in the Eastern Conference. So now they get to play at their home stadium. So only up from here. 
Yeah, and in their first game back in the home stadium, they gave their fans what they've been missing for more than a year, a 5-4, nine-goal thriller against FC Cincinnati. Crazy game. Montreal, well, club they foot Montreal, three straight wins and six matches unbeaten. Mike D, I'm done talking about the new coaches. Let's get to a guy that's been doing this for a while now. So let's get to one of the most successful coaches in the league over the past half decade, Brian Schmetzer. The two-time MLS Cup winner led the Sounders to 13 games unbeaten to start this year, which is a record in case you haven't heard. On Sunday, the Loons took down the Sounders in their second rematch since 2020's Western Conference Finals. The Sounders are beatable, especially when they have a number of players injured on international duty and with players being recalled from USL. Credit to Minnesota United FC, or was this just a case of the Sounders not having their guys? You know, this is it is what it is. Seattle was missing a lot of players, and that's what it's chalked up to be. They were gone on international duty. There's a lot of injuries right now in Seattle, and the goal didn't come until the 80th minute. So they they just about made it to to share points with Minnesota, but unfortunately, they they didn't. Um, are they going to be disappointed? Maybe sure, but they hold this record now with 13 13 unbeaten streak to start the season. But Brian Schmetzer doesn't care about that, and his his players are going to quickly move past this, you know, because that's just what they do. They follow that mentality of Brian Schmetzer. They're going to make it into the playoffs. They're going to have no problem. They'll probably win MLS Cup. That's it. Is that your official prediction? Can we write that down? Uh, yeah, you can take that to the bank. Pencil or pen? Put it in pen. Gotcha. <laughs> so at the beginning of the year, both of us, both of us looked at this new-look Sounders. I'm throwing up air quotes right now with this new formation that Brian Schmetzer is deploying with the, the wing backs of Roldan and Brad Smith and three in the middle and playing the two guys up top. And we were really skeptical about how this whole thing was going to look out, but not, not a whole lot's changed with them. And they're getting it done when some of their best guys are out. Nico Ladero, Jordan Moore, Stefan Fry. These, those are guys that are like – First team all MLS, MLS All-Stars, whatever. Those are top performers within the league, and they make a difference for this team, especially Nico Ladero. And they just had three guys start in this game, Levia, Madronda, Sissoko, that have started a combined less games than the Sounders have played all season. So they're really making do with what they've got. For them to make it 13 weeks without being beaten is pretty damn good. So shout out to Brian Schmetzer. I talked about culture earlier. That is a winning culture that they have built in Seattle but we talked I just talked about how didn't think Seattle was new look Seattle was going to be as good as they were I was overreacting like crazy to Minnesota wasn't I you were you what, what were you saying that they were going to be um I didn't say wooden spoon winners but I wasn't so sure about what I was seeing with Minnesota right. I, I, I yeah. didn't like it they lost their opening four matches but then they just went on a seven game unbeaten streak and now they find themselves above the playoff line in sixth place on 18 points. That's a pretty damn good turnaround. Their offense is still kind of coming together with Fragapon, Reynoso, Hanu, Robin Lode, all those guys. They're kind of trying to mesh. But for them to be able to get a win against the team that they lost to in the Western Conference Finals last year, and they got beat by, by the opening – I think it was the opening game of the season they lost to Seattle, right? For them to get a win – maybe against a depleted roster or whatever. Like, it's still a good team regardless of who Seattle fields. So, shout out to Minnesota. I overreacted. You guys are getting better, and they're getting better and better every week, to be honest with you. Yeah, they look much better after the, the new signings, who knew, and Fragapon. 
All right, so the, the Sounders look great, right, Mike D? Who did they play in the MLS Cup final last year? The crew. Oh, yeah, yeah. So by the that, time that this team? podcast – Yeah, so by the time this podcast drops, I should be landing in my home state of Ohio to watch my first ever crew match at the brand-new world-class lower.com field. And let me tell you, Mike D, can we make this thing explicit? We can. Here. I cannot fucking wait. The Columbus crew face off against Nashville SC Wednesday night in their third ever matchup between the two teams. Nashville have lost both matchups, the crew 2-0, and the crew are unbeaten their last 11 at home. Hadi Mukhtar put up a hat trick in six minutes last week, leading to Nashville to their highest scoring game in club history. Both teams are missing key players to international duties and injuries, and Nashville sit two points ahead of the crew in the Eastern Conference standings. This, to me, has got it all, and it's the game of the week. Mike D., give me some of the keys to the match and maybe a score prediction. Oh, man. Like you said, I mean, this is going to be a tight match. This is going to be a real tight match because the crew do not lose at home. Like you said, 11 games unbeaten there, and they haven't lost yet this season there. Um, so it's, it's going to be tight. And, yes, Nashville have recently improved their offense. Um, we'll see if they can keep that going. But – the crew are also a very good team defensively. So key things to the match for me on the crew end here is that Zellerion has to be tip top and whoever they put up at striker has to score goals. Um, there's, there's talk of, so Derek Etienne Jr. And Molino are both back now from international duty and they're, they're in training, but we don't know really kind of the status of, of them playing. What Caleb Porter has said is that Derek Etienne, you know, is very fit. Uh, he played full 90s. He played two 90s, but he said he's very fit. Um, Molino, obviously not as fit because he's been absent for, for a large part of the season so far. Um, so I think if we see them, it would be great, but we probably won't see them start. Um, Nashville have to continue their, their uh, attacking prowess if they, if they want to succeed here and, and get a win. But um, like I said, it, it's going to be a tight game. Um, the crew don't lose at home, but I think, I think honestly, I think it's going to be a tie game. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a zero, zero, one, one game. That's what I you're, think. You're trying to tell me one of these teams isn't going up two zero, then the other team isn't scoring two goals and we're drawing two, two. I mean, typical Nashville fashion game. Yeah, sure. But, and, and crew fashion now. I mean, yeah, over the past couple games, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think. Both of these teams are really good defensively um, and more, not, more often than not in recent, in recent history, these two teams have had kind of trouble offensively. You know, obviously Nashville has been doing better more recently than the crew have, but it's, it's, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. And while my bias side wants to say that the crew are going to win, you know, 2-1 or 1-0, I really do honestly think that this is going to be a draw. This game is to find out who is more massive. This game is to find out who is the real yellow soccer team. The crew have already done it two times. They lead the series 2-0 on two wins, scoreline 2-0. So not going to make my prediction quite yet, but I'm going to tell you my key to the match or what this match is going to show us. This match is going to show us which team is deeper. You already talked about Derek Etienne Jr. You know, he's, he's really fit. He's up in the air, though, because he just came back from Gold Cup. I do want to say, though, shout out to Derek Etienne Jr. He looked like one of the best individuals sure at the Gold Cup. 
one of the most dominant players individually that looked like he could pick his spots and kind of do what he wanted on the on the on the Haitian team. On the Haitian team. On the Haitian but, team. <laughs> right, right. But we want we watched US Women's National Team play three teams and we watched the US Women's National Team. I don't think there was anybody else that did what Derek Etienne Jr. did. Sure, totally agree. I didn't think that there was a player that was dominant like he was, but on the Haitian team. Just right. But he looked good. He, looked <laughs> he did. He looked he did. He, he looked good. good. He did. Yes. He's an MLS Cup winner, MLS Cup goal scorer. Got to hype up Derek Etienne Jr. The Haitian he's the Haitian Messi, is what he is. Mm. All right, but anyways, on top of that, Kevin Molino is just coming back from Trinidad and Tobago. He's up in the air to be evaluated. Artur, Valenzuela, Warm Gore, all out on top of Aiden Morris, obviously. Shout out to Aiden Morris today for hitting me up, saying to let him know next time I go to a crew game because you boy might get some tickets, you know what I'm saying? But Josh Williams is questionable. Giassi, Luis Diaz, Liam Frazier are all still with the respective clubs for Gold Cup. That's just the crew side, but let's take a look over at what's going on in Nashville. Walker Zimmerman obviously is gone with the U.S. Men's National Team, but he's injured, so uh, prayers up for Walker Zimmerman. I hope it's not a serious injury. I hope he can come back. Maybe not to the national team. He'll probably need some time to rehabilitate and all those things and get fully fit. Hopefully he comes back to Nashville sooner rather than later. Alisar Johnson is still with the Canadian Men's National Team. who just advanced to the knockout rounds. Godoy and Badgie are both out. Lovitz and Marr, they're both out. It was announced today due to health and safety protocols. So both of these teams are playing shorthanded, and it's going to come down to who's deeper. Nashville has looked good. They've been playing in a new formation. They have been experimenting with kind of a three-center-back spot uh, formation, and they've been playing wingbacks as well with Mukhtar playing up top. Leal's been inside. Leal didn't go to play national. Uh, for his country. So he's been playing kind of the 10 role and they've looked okay. And they scored five goals last, last game out. Granted it was against the dumpster fire, Chicago fire, just like you kind of said about inner Miami, but I I think it's also going to be a close game. Mike D there's, there's not much more to break down about this game. I think the crew will probably out possess Nashville and Nashville will probably look to play on the counterattack a little bit. I think this game ends I don't think the crew finished this one 2-1. I think the crew – I meant to say I don't think the crew finished this one 2-0. I think the crew finished this one 2-1. I think maybe Hani Mukhtar gets one or Randall Liao. We could also see Ake Loba, the guy that just came from Monterey that just signed for Nashville. He's available this weekend. We could see him where he plays on that field and what formation. That can be interesting, but I do think the crew still has enough with Matan, Pedro Santos, Lucas Elleron, Darlington Nagby especially if Darlington Nagby decides to get forward like he did last game a little bit. I think the crew can, can nudge out a 2-1 victory. What do you think, Mike D? I think we're going to see. I don't want to say that the crew will win. I hope that they do because they're my team. Give me a hot take, man. I mean, the hot take is that Nashville is going to win. That's the hot take. The hot take I, is that I, Nashville I, I, is going to win. I got I to go to lower.com tomorrow. If they hear you say that, I'm going to get my ass beat in Nordeca. That's the hot take, man. If, <laughs> if, if, if Nashville continues their form right now, Nashville wins. And gives right, the crew hey. their first ever loss in lower.com field stadium. And their first loss of the season. The crew's first loss of the season? That's what I said. They've lost before. At, at home is what I mean. Ah, I didn't, if ah. I didn't say that, yeah, yeah, at home. Sorry, guys. Well, technically, Mike D. Well, technically. 
Uh, in other news, Nordeca is officially sold out. Me, shout out to Greg, Mate, and Joe. Got us all Nordeca tickets for discounted prices. We'll all be in Nordeca standing together, screaming. I can't wait to do Wise Men Say at the end of the game with all of our listeners that have been dedicated and been fans of us since the start. So thank you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. Can't wait. Or today when you listen to this, cannot wait. But Mike D, there's probably an all-star on the crew team, right? Who's all-star probably on the crew team? Lucas Orion. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but I I don't know if we want to vote for him because the crew play, I think Cincinnati, maybe the day after. But MLS All-Star voting is now closed. The MLS All-Stars are set to take on Liga MX All-Stars on August 25th in Los Angeles. Mike D, quickly give me the rundown on who you have. Uh, Goalkeeper, I got Andre Blake. He's got 11 goals against, uh, 79.6 save percentage, 43 total saves, which is fourth most saves in the league with one less game played than the other keepers. So I'm going with Andre Blake because not only that, he has six clean sheets, which is the most in MLS right now. The next player that I have is left back uh, new who from Seattle because I don't even have a stat for this guy. This one's just the eye test because you watch this guy play and he is one of the best one-on-one defenders in the league, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm giving him the spot there at left back center back. I got Yamar Gomez and this is going to be a Seattle dominant team. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Yamar Gomez Andrade. He's got the most interceptions in the league at 41 and most clearances per match at 5.2. So giving him the nod there. My next center back is going to be uh, Jesus David Murillo from LAFC. Same amount of clearances per match at 5.2 as Yamar and 31 total interceptions. The next guy right back, Alex Roldan from Seattle. I don't really have a whole lot of stats on him other than I really like how he's improved since last year and how Smetzer has implemented him as a right wing back and gotten him into the attack. Um, He's been flourishing 27 interceptions, 16 chances created 13 key passes at the uh, right wing back position. So really, really good performances from him. And I really like what he's doing for Seattle defensive mid. I got Jao Paulo also from Seattle. Um, He's just one of the best defensive mids in the, in the game right now. Four assists, 35 key passes, 39 chances created, and is successful on 58% of his tackles, which is what you need from a defensive, uh, defensive midfielder there. Attacking midfielder, I have Lucas Celerion. Um, Don't care if he's going to play or not, just because go crew, and he's one of the best creators in the league, even if the numbers don't show it at the moment. And then you have to give the nod for the other attacking mid, Carlos Hill. I mean, come on. 5.2 key passes per match, 73 total key passes, seven assists, eight total chances, 80 total chances created, excuse me, and 73% success dribble. He's the best 10 in the league at the moment. So he's definitely got a spot on my league, uh, on my starting 11 for the all-star game. Nani at striker, uh, seven goals tied with Daniel Shallowy, three goals, t- uh, excuse me, seven goals tied with Daniel Shallowy, three assists tied with Daniel Shallowy. And he's just a big-time player that's going to make big-time plays in big-time games. So, Luis Nani's got the nod there. Also have Raul Rui Diaz and Chicharito because they have the, um, the, the league-leading 10 goals. Um, so, they get the nod. And that's it. All right, I got that a fast little enough bit. for you? Yeah, no, that was, that was, that was good, Mike. Usually, we take like an hour to do these kinds of things. But I got a little bit of a different lineup, especially from the midfield back. So, I'll start with goalkeeper, Brad Stuver. Austin FC, four clean sheets, four and a half saves per match, 58 total saves. Both of those last two stats I just said are the most in the league. Brad Smith, Seattle Sounders, left wing back, 
the guy basically plays as a left forward, to be honest. He's one of the most fun left backs in the league in the system that he plays in. Uh, his stats go to show it. Don't have them written down, but Brad Smith is a great left back, and I think that he would be a great shout for this position. Miles Robinson, who's currently with the U.S. men's national team, Atlanta United center back. He's been noted by his coaches and peers as one of the best 1v1 defenders they've ever seen. He was doing this against Miguel Almarone and Joseph Martino. He does it with Atlanta United. Joseph Martinez. They... Joseph what did, I, what Joseph, did I say? You said Joseph Martinez. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just a yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a nickname, Joseph Martin. You know, yeah. the king, hey, Joseph, Joseph Martin, the king. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. So yeah, Miles Robinson, one of the best one v one defenders that a lot of people have seen within the Atlanta United organization. I think he's also a really good ball distributor. I talked about that in the last podcast. Glassnass for Philadelphia Union. The guy just scores bangers, and who doesn't want that in an All Star game? If we do, like, the MLB All-Star game, we do, like, the fastest pitch or whatever. Like, Glesnitz can hit the fucking shit out of the ball. Excuse my language. The guy hits a rocket. Reminder, this is an explicit episode because I'm just excited right now. Mike D, I agree with you here. Alex rolled on right wing back. As Andrew Weeby said it best in yesterday's Extra Time podcast, the best outside back in CONCACAF. Sorry, Alfonso Davies. Just kidding. But shout out to Alex rolled on because he's been killing it for Seattle Sounders. Midfield, uh, we'll go defensive midfield first. The six, Alex Ring. I think he has been phenomenal for Austin FC this year. I don't have any specific stats written down, but he was great for New York City FC. He's been great for Austin FC. He's been a great leader, great distributor. He's always a great tackler. He plays hard as hell. I love Alex Ring in the midfield. I agree with you, Carlos Hill. All the stats you listed were accurate. I was checking you as you go. I didn't put any red X's over anything. Luciano Acosta. I have in my midfield as well. We talked a little bit last podcast about how he's played less games just due to some injury. He had an elbow injury earlier in the season, but he's got three goals, three assists, 32 key passes, 35 chances created. And Luciano Acosta is one of the most elusive players in the league, can turn anybody, one of the most fouled players in the league. Luciano Acosta has turned this FC Cincinnati team around. He's MVP for them. And if he keeps it up, he's going to – he could have his name in the MVP race towards the end of the season if this team is anywhere close to playoff contention. Yeah. Luciano Costas, yeah, Luciano Costas looked great. So there's a lot of debate who could be next to Hill. You could pick anybody. I picked Luciano Costa. Cool. Daniel Shallow is the only guy I have different from you from the top three. You had Rui Diaz, Chicharito, and Nani. I have Chicharito, Rui Diaz, and Shallowy. My comeback player of the year. He's looked great for Sporting Kansas City. He's been one of the most important pieces for SKC. As they said, second in the West, seven goals, three assists. He's looked phenomenal. I'd be cool with either one of our lineups. You guys, if you're listening to this podcast, comment when we post it. Let us know who you would select for your 11. Let us know. But listeners, we're going to take a quick break from a word from our sponsors, Out of Time Outfitters. Stick around because after the break, we will discuss our takeaways from the U.S. Men's National Team's final group stage match versus Canada. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. 
but what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 15 of MLS Gone Wild. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD, all one word, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Mike D, you ordered the wristbands, yeah? I did. I ordered the wristbands. Update and from last week, guys. Mike D ordered the wristbands. I ordered our wristbands for the Nations League winners, the U.S. Men's National Team. Oh, baby. The U.S. Men's National Team closed out Gold Cup group stage play with a 1-0 win over Canada. Mike D, we're just going to jump right into it. What were some of your takeaways from this match? An early goal, and the defense saved the game in this one, and that's just simple as it is. Um, the U.S. Men's National Team couldn't really get anything going in the midfield. A lot of the times resorted to playing the ball direct and over the top. And if it wasn't for Matt Turner's save uh, after a bad Donovan Pines giveaway and a shot by Tejon Buchanan that went just wide, those two situations, this game may have gone in a completely different direction. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I said that I was impressed. Um, but a win nonetheless. And Shaq Moore getting the fastest goal in U.S. Men's National Team history, hats off to him. We were able to get that goal in the first 20 seconds of the game, and we were able to hold on to it. So um, it wasn't a pretty win. But much like in our, in our game last night, our indoor game, you just sometimes have to sit in and, and absorb some pressure and, and not give up a goal. Yeah, the last 89-40 were a little bit nervy, weren't they? Yeah, they were. That's, they were. That's a, that's a long time for a fan to be on the edge of their seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for a team to play, take this with a grain of salt, as poorly as the U.S. men's national team did and get a result against a pretty competitive opponent in Canada, that's great. Like, if you can play bad and get wins, good for the U.S. men's national team. So it, it was a pretty uninspiring performance. I think Canada at one point ended up dominating the midfield. They, they played better than the U.S. men's national team for a very good portion of that game. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, what is the scoreline? But, Mike D., I got, a, I got a couple of things that we can break down here. In the last podcast, we talked about, okay, what if they line up in a 3 4 one, two? We don't want to see them line up with DK and Zardes because they're not necessarily similar players, but they have similar antics on the field. Uh, DK is better technically than Giassi Zardes is, but they're similar players. Don't get me wrong. Right. And then they ended up doing exactly what we didn't want them to do. And then it just, it didn't look good. What'd you think of that? Yeah. I mean, their play styles just don't complement each other the way that you want two strikers up top two. So I think that's exactly it. You know, um, I think that the better, com the, the better pair is throwing Matthew Hoppy in there with either one of them because Matthew Hoppy has the ability to receive the ball at his feet and dribble. And, you know, one of those other, you know, Jossie's artists will make the runs. He'll make the diagonal runs. He'll get in behind. He'll, he'll um, hold up, you know, hold up play a, a little bit. And um, you need somebody that can complement that 
a little bit differently, like the style of play that Matthew Hoppy has. So I think that they have to, I think that that's just the better, the better pairing. Yeah. Matthew Hoppy could almost play like when you're playing the two striker system, one guy's got to almost play the false nine and come back and combine with the midfield. And we've seen Matthew Hoppy deployed on the left-hand side, both time. I think we've only seen, we've only seen him two times so far for the U S national team in this tournament under Greg Berhalter. And, both times he's proven to be a pretty technical player out left, and that's not even his natural possession position. When we see him for Schalke, he is a kind of guy, like I said in the last podcast, he's a fox in the box. That's, I said that, and I didn't really know a whole lot about him. But now that I've seen him play a couple times, he is a lot more of a technical player than I thought he was, and I think he could act as that false nine while Daryl DK or Giassi Zardes makes those diagonal runs in behind, things like that. So I think – a combination of Hoppy or DK or Hoppy and Zardes. I think that's good. Another big talking point going around U.S. men's national team Twitter right now is James Sand is the like-for-like like replacement for Tyler Adams at the six. What do you think? I think he's proving himself, absolutely. I, I really do. It, and it's just simple as that. The kid, he plays hard, and uh, he gets really stuck in on tackles and is – composed for the most part on the ball and and so he can play in the back and he can play right in front of the back line um so he's versatile so i think that given more time um absolutely he, he's going to start to solidify that role a little bit more but he's got to fight out Kellen acosta that's right that's right they they do have two <laughs> uh, unlike daryl dk and justice Zardes, they do have two different skill sets i think Kellen acosta and james sands they're two different players they play that position a little bit differently. I don't think James Sands necessarily gets forward as well as Kellen Acosta. He's not as comfortable attacking, but James Sands puts out fires in front of the back line when he can, and he does a lot of really good things for the U.S. national team. The only thing I'm a little bit – I'm not concerned about it. We just haven't seen enough of James right. Sands there, right? So we've seen James Sands line up in the middle of a back three with next to Robinson and Zimmerman, who unfortunately went down with an injury in that game. But one thing that I did like about the formation and how it was flexible against Canada was that in the formation we were playing, even though James Sands was lined up officially in the lineup as one of the center backs, we would just have two guys holding at the central back position and James Sands would then step up above them as a six and clean up fires defensively, distribute side to side laterally for the U.S. national team, keep possession, things like that. So I, I liked it in that regard. He's just not as comfortable as necessarily going forward, although he does have really good range of passing. Tyler Adams, kind of a similar player when he plays for Leipzig as well. He plays more of the defensive role, and he plays that for the U.S. national team as well, very possession-oriented. His movement off the ball is more crisp. He's more apt to make the half turn and find the next guy on the opposite side, and I think that's kind of what James Sands provides. So I, I would consider that a like for like. I just think we need to see more of it. Would you agree? I would agree, yeah. Another guy I thought did really good in this game was Robinson from Atlanta United at center back. There was one moment that really stood out to me when he got stuck in on that tackle against Tejon Buchanan, who obviously holds the speed advantage, but Robinson holds the strength advantage, and he bodied him out of bounds. Like I said earlier when I was naming my – MLS All-Star 11, Robinson, because of his 1v1 tackling ability and his, his range of passing. I think Robinson had a really good showing against Canada. And after Zimmerman went out, he really had to hold the leadership responsibilities back there along with James Sands because they threw in a guy like Donovan Pines from D.C. United who doesn't have a lot of experience and is a little wonky back there. So I thought Robinson really 
did well for himself and may have moved up the depth chart just a little bit in the center back role. Yeah, I think so. Robinson is just continuing to get better. You know, the more and more that he plays under the U.S. men's national team shirt, he's just getting better. And I think we're just going to continue to see him improve. So he'll be more of a staple than he already is in, in our lineups going forward. Another guy that's growing into his U.S. men's national team form and just getting his feet wet with this national team under Greg Berhalter, Gianluca Busio, rumored to be joining Tanner Testman at Venezia in Italy, just got promoted over there. Gianluca Busio has played the last couple teams last couple games to the U.S. men's national team. And against Canada, it might have been because the pressure Canada was putting on the U.S. men's national team. But Busio looked, for me, just okay. So might be a hot take or might be an overreaction here. But maybe we just pump the brakes for a second on the kid, not because he's not good enough, but just because he's young. And like I said, he's still getting his feet wet. Yeah, I think you just – he needs more experience. He needs more more games under his belt. He needs to see different types of competition. Canada was the best team that he's played against, and that's not Mexico. So who, what, what's going to happen when he steps in that role playing against the, the Nats that Mexico are? So uh, he just needs to get some more experience under his belt. He'll be fine. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that we probably start him going forward to get him that experience because he does show the technical ability to operate in that role under Greg Berhalter. So I, I think we continue to give John Lugobusio the chance to operate in the Gold Cup and do his thing and continue to build his stock because if he has a good showing, you know, maybe Venezia isn't the limit for him right now. Maybe he can go even higher. But, you know, we, we need to probably limit our expectations on the kid because he's still young and he's still growing into the system. My only other thing, Mike D, that I got is Jackson Yule wanted to close out the match in the 74th minute. I'm sick and tired of Jackson Yule, man. I said it last time. It's like he's not a bad player. He's he's, he's good for San Jose, but he's just not a national team player, man. But, yeah, he came out. He closed out the game against Canada. But, like, give, give me Eric Williamson. or yeah. I mean, God, give me some, not Jackson Yule, right? Not Jackson Yule. I mean, like I said, he's not a bad player. I just think that we've seen enough of him and he does a lot of the same stuff, and he's not getting any better in that role. So it's time to start looking elsewhere. It's time to start building the confidence of these young players that you have, like Eric Williamson, who has proven that he can do it. He's proven that he can do it for Portland. He played well in, uh, in their previous game against Martinique, even though it was Martinique. You know, it's still a national team game, and, you know, it's, it's still a cap that gives him confidence. So to continue to build on that, you have to look to, to put him into the game. And he's a great player, has the ability to sit in, play the six, but also versatile enough to play an eight and get forward. So I absolutely would love, I'd love to see Williamson in there instead. Yeah. Zimmerman went down with an injury. Also, Io Akinola, it's been confirmed, torn ACL. Hmm. Yeah. So that's well, – that's, that's rough for a TFC team that probably needs him, but Josie Outdoor is back for Toronto FC under their new interim head coach. But I hope Io Akinola has a really speedy recovery. I know he didn't pick the U.S. men's national team, folks, but we still got to support this kid, man. He's uh, he was he was one of our own for just a little bit with the youth national team, and you know we got to support him. He plays in the in MLS, so got to support Io. Hope he has a speedy recovery, everything like that. Mike D, you got anything else about the U.S. men's national teams win, their upcoming opponents, who's playing right now, or MLS, anything? Got anything else for me? Hey, man, win's a win. Red, white, and blue, win's a win. Doesn't matter how you get it. We're a scrappy country, scrappy U.S. men's national team. 
get it how you get it, right? So hats off to the men's national team. Excited to see who, who they'll be facing up next um, and hope that they can just continue to improve. Hopefully they can, they can get some offensive prowess and really get their midfield under control and, and get this possession, you know, going from back to front um, really connected. But other than that, Chuck, that's it for me. I'm really jealous. Blake's going to Columbus, like he mentioned, to watch the first crew game in the new stadium for him. I will not be going. Um, so I'm sad about that because this will now be the second game in the last seven or eight months that Blake has gone back to Columbus to watch the crew in kind of momentous, you know, um, situations. He went to watch the crew play in MLS Cup final and sat right on the 50-yard line, right on the field. And I saw him on TV. And they won MLS Cup. And, and now he's going back home to, to watch his first game in, in Lower.com. So a little jealous, but I'll be watching the game and I'll be looking for you on, on the screen there and rooting for our team. Man, like I said earlier, it's a sellout in Nordeca. I got some pictures with Greg and I way back in the day, front row, cheering, screaming. There's a lot of new chants. I'm so excited to see the new environment around the stadium. I'm so excited to see the amenities that the stadium has itself. I'm so excited to just be in that atmosphere. And it looks like one of the best soccer-specific stadiums in the United States. It, it, it really, really and truly does. You got to hit up Neil Sika. You got to hit him up. I got to hit up Neil Sika. I got to hit up Aiden Morris. Who else? I got Ty Phillips. Ty Phillips knows I'm coming. So I'm going to see everybody. So yeah. listeners, if you guys. Just carry have... a picture of me around. Just carry a picture. Yeah, I... like, yeah this is our co-host, Mike D. Uh, he couldn't be here, but he's, he's here in spirit. And this is what he looks like. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. But listeners, if you guys are hearing this podcast, or if you guys have listened to this podcast previously, and you just so happen to be listening to this full thing through it's probably about an hour long and you get to this point if you see me tomorrow say hello i'll be wearing my gray dark not darlington i'd be kevin molino kit i'll be with three of my best buds from childhood i'm sad mike d can't be there but man i can't wait to scream with all of you get to meet a lot of you and it's going to be an awesome experience and i'm absolutely stoked for it i really don't have the words but I'll try to take some video. Maybe we can do some exclusive content or something. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Right on. But listeners, thank you for listening to MLS Go Wild Season 3, Episode 15. Mike D, it's been fun. We've talked about it all. We talked about our goals of the week. We talked about all the small things. Brenner and who was my guy? Uh, Shabelko. Shabelko. Yeah, how could I forget? Casper Shabelko. It's such a hard name to say. That's why I forgot it. Gabriel Hines set out. Seattle Sounders losing. Crew versus Nashville preview. We talked about the national theme. We talked about it all, man. So we hope that you guys have enjoyed. Go ahead and rate, subscribe, follow, whatever. Social media, MLS Gone Wild. Search us wherever you listen to podcasts, MLS Gone Wild. Check us out. Keep supporting us. Crew fans, we'll see you tomorrow. Mike D, let's get out of here. Peace.